Let's pray for a moment before we um, uh, dive into this wonderful, wonderful passage. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Uh, Lord, always we come to your words and it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And we want to hear from you this morning. So, Jesus, speak by your Holy Spirit and teach us what we need to hear. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Okay, well, so much, there is literally so much in this passage. I'm going to do my best to, um, uh, to unpack it. Uh, it's just full of wonderful riches to encourage us this morning. Uh, when Jesus had finished saying all this, well, what did he finish saying? If you've been with us the last um, few weeks, you'll know that Jesus has uh, started to form his new community in which he's going to build the kingdom of God. He's called the Twelve Apostles together. And then he started uh, teaching Teaching this radical teaching that turns upside down uh, all the values of the world. Uh, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, you've already received your comfort. Uh, He says we should uh, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. It's radical and extraordinary stuff. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive Give and it will be given to you. It's, it's just, it's amazing, amazing stuff. And that's the context where we begin. When Jesus had finished saying all this, so he's begun to lay down the principles on which the kingdom of God is going to be built, he entered Capernaum. Now, why Capernaum? Why does so much of Jesus' ministry in the early days take place in Capernaum? It's a little town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. I went there a few years ago. And uh, the place like Capernaum, if you have good news, if you have a message that you want to spread far and wide, well, 2,000 years ago, you don't hop on the internet because it doesn't exist. You go to a place like Capernaum because it's on the crossroads of two great trading routes. So thousands of people are passing through uh, the whole time. So if something significant happens in Capernaum, people are going to hear about it over a wide area. So I think that's why Jesus centres a lot of his ministry in Capernaum, because he is good news and he has a message he wants to get out. And there in Capernaum is a centurion. Now this is significant. It's significant that this episode concerns a centurion because he's not a Jew. He is a Gentile. And the question is, certainly the question in Jesus' day, one of the questions that the early church wrestled with, And perhaps a question that we need to be reminded of ourselves is, well, who is Jesus for? Who is the Messiah for? Did he just come for the Jews? Or did he come for everybody? Uh, For those of us who are Christians, is, is Jesus just for me? Is Jesus just for us? Is Jesus just for the church? Or is Jesus for the whole world? Sometimes you would think by the way that we go about sharing the good news of Jesus that we have decided, well, he's just for us. It's a private matter. I remember a friend at school when I became a Christian who said, uh, well, you know, it's great for you, but it's not for me. Does that hold it? Is Jesus just, is it just for me? Is it just for my benefit? Or is he for everyone? This episode is significant that it involves a centurion. Uh, 2,000 years ago, the Jews had really come to the conclusion that the Messiah, when he came, would rescue them. He would rescue their nation, he would rescue Israel, he would free them from uh, Gentile oppression, and the Gentile nations would be punished. That was who Jesus was for, that was who the Messiah was for. But that's not God's plan, that was never God's plan, and that's not their calling. They've forgotten 
their calling. Sometimes in the church we forget that our calling is to share good news. Uh, Right back, the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus is not just for Christians, not just for Jews, not just for a particular people group. Jesus is for everybody. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, where God is speaking to the people of God, speaking to the Israelites, reminding them of their calling and saying what he's going to do in the future. Through Isaiah, he says this, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, speaking about Israel as the servant figure who would become the Messiah. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus is for everybody. Whoever we are, whoever you are, Jesus is for you. So there's this centurion. He has a servant who is sick and the centurion has heard about Jesus. I wonder how you heard about Jesus and I wonder what you have heard about Jesus. I, I, on, when I'm online and on Facebook and things on social media, I so often see people rejecting Jesus who clearly haven't heard anything good about him. They haven't really heard about Jesus. Everything that they've heard about Jesus has been filtered through a bad news story about the church or filtered through the fallen life of a Christian that they know or they have seen in the media. And they look at that and on the basis of what they've seen, they reject Jesus. Because they're actually getting a false image and a false presentation of who Jesus is. The centurion has heard about the good news of Jesus. I defy anybody to read one of the Gospels and come to the conclusion that Jesus is not good news. You need to go right back to the source. Before you make a decision whether or not to uh, love or reject Jesus, you need to understand who he really is. And the centurion has heard good news about Jesus. Jesus has a reputation of being good news. He speaks good news, he does good news. That's why there's a crowd around him. Have you encountered the real Jesus? Or have you encountered a filtered version that has been filtered through an imperfect church or an imperfect Christian? Go to the source. Read the Gospels. Discover the Jesus that the centurion had discovered. So because he knows that Jesus is good news, he believes that Jesus can help him. How often do we turn to Jesus when we are in trouble? How often is that our first port of call rather than last? He sends some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. When I was in Capernaum a few years ago, I stood in the synagogue that this centurion built. Or at least not the, not the one that he built because that fell down. But the, the foundation stones of the synagogue that was there 2,000 years ago are still there. Another synagogue was built on top of that one and then that one um, is a ruin. But I've been there. You can go and stand 
where this synagogue is, where this guy who loved the Lord, who loved God, built it. The Jewish leaders, they go to Jesus and they, they appeal to him on the basis that the centurion deserves you to have him come to his house. Now, how often do we think that that's the way it, it works, that we need to be deserving of God's love? We need to be deserving of God's favour. Uh, so often I, I come across people who, who, um, who, who say, well, I, I couldn't pray about this issue in my life because I don't, I don't deserve God to do anything for me. I don't deserve to have God hear my prayers. There are so many bigger issues, so many bigger things going on in the world. How can I pray about, like, I'm not worthy? How many times have I heard that over the years? How many times have I said that myself? I'm not worthy to have God show me favour. And the elders, the Jewish elders, they go to Jesus and they appeal on that, on that basis. The centurion deserves you to come to his house. And as we'll discover in a few verses time, that's not the way it works. The glory of the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. Jesus doesn't come to us because we deserve it. So Jesus sets off. He's not far from the house when the centurion sent friends. The centurion's been kind of mulling it over and he's been thinking, actually, I don't, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve Jesus to come to my house. Actually, I don't need him to come anyway. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve you to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't consider myself worthy. Say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion is brilliant. He understands how things work in the physical realm. And he just quite logically draws the conclusion, well, if that's how things work in the physical realm, that's how things work in the spiritual realm, surely. So if you've encountered someone who clearly has authority in the spiritual realm, Jesus, he doesn't actually need to come. I don't need to have him come to my house. I just need him to speak a word. So the centurion sends the message back. He says, well, I don't deserve you to come anyway. And actually, you don't need to be here. You just need to speak the word. Do we understand that Jesus has that authority? He has that power. He just needs to speak. I was at a conference, speaking at a conference in Sweden a few years ago, and I was teaching on healing and the power and authority that Jesus delegates to his disciples. And at the end of the teaching, we invited people to come forward for prayer for healing. And the first lady who came forward, because uh, it was kind of a workshop thing, and I said, you know, you come forward, we'll lay hands and we'll see what God will do. Uh, praying confidently and expectantly that Jesus always does what he's always done. So first lady comes forward and uh, I said, what would you like prayer for? And she said, oh, I'd like prayer for my father. He's in hospital. And I'll be honest with you, when she said that, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, no, this is, well, this is a bit rubbish. This is meant to be a practical workshop. You know, we're going to invite people who come up with a physical ailment that we can see. And then we're going to ask Jesus to heal it. And then we're going to watch in expectation that it's going to heal it. And I'm like, well, well how's this going to work? We're not going to see anything because we're praying about your dad who's not even here. So I had that little conversation in my head, but outwardly I said, fantastic, let's pray. So uh, I laid a hand on her and we just prayed very simply, just prayed in the name of Jesus that um, God would give her father a new heart. Very simple prayer. She went, she sat down 
Um, the next person came up, prayed for them. I forget what we prayed for them about, but we prayed for them for a few minutes. They went and sat down. The first lady that I prayed for, for her father, who is in hospital, who didn't know that um, she, he was being prayed for, she stood up, big smile on her face. She said, my father has just rung me from the hospital. Now, he was in hospital with heart failure. He was, in, he was very weak and he hadn't been able to get out of bed for, I think he'd been, a week for, been in hospital for like a couple of weeks, hadn't been able to get out of bed. Uh, heart failure. He rang her from the hospital. He said, I just wanted to tell you that I've just got out of bed because I'm feeling so much stronger. He didn't know he'd been prayed for. He was miles away in the hospital, but Jesus was there. Jesus was with him. He didn't even need to know that he was being prayed for. We prayed in Jesus' name that God would give him a new heart. And that's what God did. That's how this authority thing works. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are delegated that power and authority to do the things that Jesus did. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the centurion's faith. He said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Remember before, the Jewish elders, they go to Jesus on the basis that their centurion deserves him have him come to his home. But the centurion's servant is not healed because the centurion is a good man and he's built a synagogue and he's a God-fearer and he deserves it. The centurion's servant is healed simply because he believes it can happen. He has faith in Jesus. God comes to us not because we deserve it. He doesn't forgive us because we deserve it. He didn't go to the cross because we deserved it. He doesn't heal us because we deserve it. He doesn't give us anything because we deserve it. He showers these things upon us when we simply turn to him and believe that that's what he wants to do. That he is faithful. That's the basis on which it works. We don't deserve it. He's faithful. It's simply a matter of faith. That's why it's good news for everybody. Whoever you are, whatever status you may hold in life, prince or pauper, as I said last week, doesn't matter. It's about Jesus, not about us. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So, this is really serious news for the widow. 2,000 years ago, if you were a woman, your, um, your security in life... Um, came from the relationship that you had with a man. That was just the way the culture worked. So you needed to have a father, a husband, or a son. If you didn't have a father, a husband, or a son, you were very vulnerable. Uh, you were vulnerable to being abused, being exploited, being taken advantage of. So this widow, whose only son has just died, is in a very serious situation. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. The Greek word, um, his heart went out to her. It's, it's a real, it's a really strong word. It's a kind of real moving of the guts kind of word. It is a guttural response. It is a, it's just huge compassion that wells up in Jesus for this widow. Now remember, what does the Bible tell us? Paul, who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament in a he wrote a letter to a little church in Colossae that he had planted. He wrote to encourage them. And one of the things he said was, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. See Jesus, 
You're seeing God. Watch what Jesus does. Hear about what Jesus does. You are watching God. Well, what does Jesus do? He is moved with compassion over the plight of this widow. God is moved with compassion over our suffering, over the things that we find us, the difficulties we find ourselves going. He says, don't cry. The very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we read about when Jesus returns and the heaven and um, creation is fully restored. One of the things that we read is going to happen is it says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. God wipes away your tears and my tears. That's the compassion of God. Jesus is moved with compassion. He went up and touched the coffin. What's he doing? This is, this is crazy. This is like, you don't do this. You don't touch a coffin because it makes you ritually unclean. If you're a Jew, one of the things you are forbidden to do is, is touch a grave or touch a coffin or touch a dead person. If you do, it makes you ritually unclean. It's like touching a leper. It's like hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. You just don't do it. If you want to be right with God, those are the rules. Jesus is always breaking those rules. He's always casting them aside. He does the thing that you're not supposed to do. People, people in the crowd would have been horrified that Jesus went up and touched the coffin. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't get what we have. We get what he has. When Jesus touches the leper, Jesus doesn't catch leprosy. The, lepros, the leper is healed. When Jesus touches the coffin... The dead man gets up, he comes back to life. And for those who are there, those who are watching it, the reason that it is recorded is because this is like a, you know, this is like a flashing neon sign in the sky to say Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the great prophets raised people from the dead. I haven't got time to reference it. There'll be some notes attached uh, on the website. Uh, but Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, great prophets of God, both of them, authenticated their calling from God by raising from the dead the sons of widows. When Jesus does this, it's not just an incredible miracle in itself. It is a flashing beacon in the sky to say, Jesus is the Messiah. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother. No wonder they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. Why do they draw that conclusion? Because they know that's what Elijah did. That's what Elisha did. And they know that before the Messiah comes, one like Elijah will come. And who is the one who is like Elijah? John the Baptist. Elijah has come. And now the Messiah is here. And what does it mean? What did it mean then and what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us living in the middle of coronavirus? What does it mean? God has come to help his people. God has come to help his people. That is the nature and the character of God. He comes to help us. No wonder this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Beautiful. The character of Jesus is so beautiful. And he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And in a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to pray because Jesus is always, he's always, always does what he's always done. He never changes. I'm going to tell you a, a brief story 
And then we're going to take a moment to pray. And to pray specifically for you if, if you need healing this morning. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. A few years ago I was at um, a conference and I heard this uh, story of a, a, from a Christian TV station that were broadcasting into a nation that is closed to the gospel. Uh, the church is um, persecuted, Christians are persecuted and uh, this TV station broadcasts satellite TV into this nation and lots of people are able to watch it. One day they received an email. And the email began, Dear Sir, forward slash madam, I used to be paralysed. That got their attention. They read the email. What had happened was there was a man paralysed from the neck down, lying in his bed, in his house, in this country, and uh, the television was on, and he was watching this Christian TV station. And on the TV station, someone was teaching about Jesus healing the paralysed man. The man who was, if you know the story, he was uh, lowered down through the roof of the house. There was such a crowd, couldn't get near him. They break a hole in the roof, they lower the guy down. Jesus does two things for him. Number one, he forgives him his sins. Number two, he heals him of his paralysis and he gets up and walks. The guy who's lying in his bed, in his home, in this country, hearing this message, says to himself, if Jesus could heal that man then... And Jesus is still alive, because that's what I'm being told. Then, why can't Jesus heal me? So he just prayed. He was on his own. He just prayed, Jesus, please heal me. And Jesus did. And he got out of his bed. And he went to his computer. And uh, the email address was at the end of the programme. And he emailed in the programme. He said, dear sir, forward slash madam, I used to be paralysed. But Jesus healed me. And he told the story. Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. He always does what he's always done. God has come to help us. And he wants to help us this morning. So I just ask you this morning, if you, if you need God to help you this morning, if you are sick, if you are unwell, just ask you, just take a hand, place a hand on the part of your body where you are feeling pain or discomfort or where you know you're carrying a sickness or a disease. And um, uh, or if you are anxious or if you're fearful, perhaps just, you know, just call to mind the thing that you're anxious about. And uh, I'm just going to pray that Jesus will help us this morning. I can't heal you, I can't heal anybody, but Jesus can. So let's pray. Just place a hand on wherever you are sick or hurting, you're carrying a disease. And just fix your eyes on Jesus. Just fix your eyes on Jesus, the Messiah the Saviour. Jesus, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring the kingdom of God and you've been building your kingdom ever since. Thank you that you always do what you've always done. You've never stopped. And Jesus, in your name, I speak healing and restoration and forgiveness and freedom from fear and anxiety. Let your Holy Spirit rest on each one of us wherever we are. Fill us with your presence. Thank you that you came to help us. In Jesus' name, let pain and discomfort go now. Let sickness and disease go now. 
Let fear and anxiety go now in Jesus' name. Amen.